The secrets to transformation. The secrets, why secrets? Why does it have to be secret? So we have been talking about uh, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, right? So secrets to this transformation, taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Um, I was thinking about our series that we have been going through, these 12 steps, the prodigal son story, uh, taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Many words from the Apostle Paul. When we, I'm going to share 10 points about this and emphasize a few of these things. When we place our hope and faith in Christ, in baptism, symbolizes that we, uh, it reminds us that we died with Christ. He died in our place and he paid the penalty for our sins. Our falling short of our sins and we are raised again with Christ. That's a symbol of baptism. We are restored as sons and daughters, right? And it's a question, um, not a question, but when we get to heaven, when we're done with this life, when we meet God and Jesus, we will be resurrected in mind, body, and spirit. Praise God for that. And it's just pausing. It's important to ask that question. If we were to give our testimony, have we accepted God's once and for all um, solution for our moral gap in our lives. Until then, until we get to heaven, we are being made new every day as we take off the old self and put on the new self. We've been going through this series called Plant Seeds and Pull Weeds, right? We want a beautiful garden. We want that image of a beautiful garden. Every week I hear Catherine talking about working in her yard for that garden. You have to plant seeds and pull weeds. It takes work. But it's kind of awkward that now we have this, we have the eternal that lives in our temporal body. The kingdom of God is established in our lives, but we don't fully realize it until we get to heaven. But while we're here for however many years, 7, 70, 8, 80 years, 990 years, God changes us. Little by little, uh, we are in this process. And God actually wants to set up his kingdom in each of our lives and in Christ the church, the congregation. So it is the space between a saving faith that is called justification and God's glory, or the resurrection and glorification of the kingdom of God in the space of refinement, which the big word is called sanctification, right? It's called sanctification. It's not preached very much in the churches these days. Sanctification, the hard work of sanctification. Um, why? Because it's hard work. And it speaks of works theology versus grace theology. This whole idea of taking off the old nature is not very popular in churches these days versus um, talking about God's love for us, the prosperity gospel. Um, it's not very popular. When you go to church, um, 
we often call it easy Christianity, that people wanted to feel good, get some donuts, coffee, salvation, and hear about God's love is basically what a lot of the American churches come to these days. I actually find it kind of rare with all the churches that I've been to. I've been a Christian since junior high school, many, many years, and I actually find it kind of rare to find churches that are serious about holiness, about inheriting um, God's character, change lives, change relationships, change families, change marriages. In fact, it's, it's really sad. The statistics show that more marriages break up in Christian families than secular families. Now, how is that? How could that be? If God changes lives, how can statistically a little bit more breakups happen in Christian families? Something is wrong in the church in America. So this is what I'm going to talk about today. I actually find it sad and kind of rare to find a group of believers on this journey. It's because of easy Christianity. I think it's because it's not taught that to become a follower, a Christian, is to become a follower of God. And it requires an overhaul of our lives to plant seeds and pull weeds. We live in a society of consumer uh, society, consumer Christianity. We come to church, like I said, for donuts, coffee, and salvation. And people are happy and uh, happy to, to uh, have a feel-good experience coming to church experiences. Lights, camera, they feel like they have to compete with all the media that's on TV nowadays. And I believe it's the calling of myself, pastors, teachers, elders, to preach about the space between a saving faith and God's glory. And it's the hard work of sanctification. So like I said, I'm going to talk about seven points or ten points about this. And I'm on point seven right now. I believe it's sad. Once we have a saving faith, we are not mentored to a path toward transformation. So this is kind of the main point I want to make today. If you get um, want to take away point today, it's sad, S-A-D. It's sad that we do not have a mentoring, that we're not mentored to a path of transformation. And sad stands for in my mind, support, accountability, and a logical path toward discipleship. So once people become Christians, um, you know, I've shared some uh, visuals of the four spiritual laws, and that came out of um, probably the Jesus Movement, Campus Crusade for Christ, the Billy Graham Crusades of, uh, of that era of simple faith and Part of that is true. There's nothing we can do as far as religion to get into God's grace. But to tr truly transform one's life, something is missing, and it is this, accountability, mentoring, accountability. Um, why is accountability uh, shunned so much? 
I think it's just because we are, we revert to our idol of ourself. We don't like accountability. What do the, what do the kids say? Uh, you're not the boss of me, <laughs> right? When people, people don't like to be told what to do. People don't like to be told what to do in our families, our kids, raising kids for adolescents. Once we're an adults, so we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told what to do in the workplace. But even myself, yeah, I don't like to be told what to do at work either. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I like independence. We like independence. It's a constant, I think, human condition, human struggle. I think this is what we need to take off and put on, this submitting to authority, which is difficult. I run into that every time I'm driving my car. I used to say this, every time I'm just about to do something illegal or speed or run an orange light, there always seems to be a police car somewhere nearby. It kind of never fails. It's like, there it is again. Never fails. Okay? And it used to really irk me because it happens a lot. It seems to happen a lot. You know what I'm talking about when you're driving and you're thinking, oh, I didn't really stop on this stop. I'm just going to, traffic's coming. I'm just going to do a California stop and go. And sure enough, there's a police car right somewhere by. As soon as I'm thinking about doing something illegal, wrong, there's always a, a cop there. And over, to, over the years, it definitely has kept me in check. <laughs> it makes me think twice. And then I thought about it today. Um, accountability is good. The accountability that God talks about, don't do this, but do these things. Do these things, but don't do those things. Have accountability. It's actually a good thing, right? <clears throat> it's because God loves us. God cares about us. The accountability of police cars is actually a good thing. I must admit it. Because if I didn't obey the laws, if I ran the red lights, if I did speed, guess what? That's actually a bad thing, right? I could cause harm to myself. I could cause harm to somebody else. It's actually a good thing. I have to actually tell myself, all right, I'm going to obey the laws, even though I don't want to. So we need accountability. I believe this is the thing that is truly lacking in our churches today. I mean, my goodness, you could have Chuck Swindoll preaching to you today. You could have John MacArthur preaching to you today and convict you with knowledge and whatnot. But at the end of the hour, there's no accountability. There's no accountability whatsoever in our churches today. You know, once you're done with uh, 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 Sunday school um, and whatnot, there's no accountability in our churches. And I believe it's sad. You need support, accountability, and discipleship. So what is, what can discipleship look like? Um, just briefly, I'll touch on this, but the main point today is accountability. We need accountability. A mentor. In the 12-step program, um, 
Those that are like the prodigal son may be addicted deep in their, to their sin and addiction. They have hit bottom. They need accountability. They have relapsed. They've lost money. They've lost family. They've lost their job. They lost their car. Uh, maybe driving drunk, maybe driving without a license. They've lost the ability to drive. They've hit bottom. They need accountability. So people often, the judge will often assign us. Let's say we all did that. Let's say we um, drove drunk. Maybe you drank too much wine at church, okay? <laughs> you, your blood alcohol level was above 0.10 or whatever it is, okay? The judge assigns you, oh, Catherine, I see you have a clean record. <laughs> I am not going to send you to prison, all right? Maybe the judge says, oh, Mrs. Kwong, you have a pretty good record over 40 years of driving. <laughs> 50 years of driving. How long have you been driving? Close to that. <laughs> so I'm not going to fine you. I'm going to send you to a 12-step program, all right? Because you need to get over your uh, alcohol uh, addiction, all right? So people attend groups. They learn in knowledge about the 12 steps, like we have been here today. But guess what? There's no accountability in what I've been teaching you the past five or six weeks. Absolutely no accountability. Those in 12-step programs, they say the wonderful thing about the wonderful thing about the 12-step program is they are action steps. Half of the steps are motivation steps, becoming ready, and the other half of the steps are action steps. And they say you truly are not in recovery. That's what 12-step programs are called, recovery programs. You're truly not working your steps until you get a mentor. And it's called a sponsor. That is someone mentoring you that is a few steps ahead of you, in the program that has walked that path that is mentoring you. It's a wonderful thing that's part of the 12-step program. And people can fake it. They can come to meetings and talk a good talk, all right? They could say all the lingo, but they're really not serious without accountability until they ask for a sponsor. They ask for a mentor. They ask for accountability is what they're doing. And I love the parallel with the Christian faith. How many in the Christian church today talk a good talk? We got all the lingo down. We fill our heads with knowledge. And basically, we become what Jesus preaches against, our Pharisees, right? We're we have lots of knowledge. We know lots of things about Christianity, about God's laws, about God's character, but we don't live it out. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus is asking, which one is applying the word of God? The religious person that walks on the other side of the road but doesn't help their neighbor? Or the Good Samaritan who has no degrees, has no you know, religious uh, 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 
credentials behind their name or things to brag about that they've uh, been in church so long, they've uh, studied this, they read through the Bible five or six times. Accountability is a theme today. Accountability is what makes the 12-step program work. I believe accountability is what makes Christianity work. So this is one path, one discipleship path that can, um, one can take. After saving faith in steps one, two, and three, we admitted that we were powerless over our sin nature. We came to believe or hope that a power greater than ourselves can save us from our sin nature. And step three, faith, we came to place our faith in and trust in God. Step four, a saving faith in Christianity should not only change our insides, it should change how we affect other people. Steps four through 10 affect our heart and how we affect other people. Look at these wonderful steps that are not in our Christian faith, taking a fearless moral inventory, taking off the old self, putting on the new self. And we want people that criticize the 12-step program, like, wow, is this really, it's so devoid of Christian lingo, but it's so parallel, taking off the old self, a fearless moral inventory. Step five, confessing to God ourselves and another person this moral inventory. I thought about this. There's so much accountability in this. We have confession. The Catholic Church has confession to another person. We criticize the Catholic Church a lot, but I think they got this part right. Protestants, we don't have confession, do we? (laughs) Right? We just have this personal faith, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we have a response at the end of a song, at the service, but it's always between you and God. But I think this is where the Catholic faith got it right. Confession to God, ourselves, and another person. There's something healing about that. Scripture says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Not forgiven, God forgives us, but true healing is coming to grips with that and realizing that there's no sin that God can't forgive. And when you confess that, when you're real about that with another person, um, it's healing. And I thought that's kind of what the Apostle Paul did, didn't he? Um, I was looking for examples in the Bible where there's actually confession to God ourselves and another person. And Here the Apostle Paul, remember, he says, uh, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Wow, what a confessing heart. Did he confess it between him and God? Of course he did. But then he wrote it in a letter (laughs) to to everybody. (laughs) He wrote it in a letter to the church. He confessed it. He was open in community. And that's what step five is about. Steps six and seven are becoming ready to remove these imperfections in our heart, ready to let go of them, to 
ready to let go of these weeds. Maybe we pulled the weeds. Okay, we did that. We got convicted in church. But we're still hanging on to the weeds. <laughs> right? We got to get rid of them. What happens in a lawn, right? Good grass doesn't grow unless you get rid of the weeds. The weeds take over. Step seven, humbly asking God to remove all these character defects. This is what holiness looks like. This is what sanctification looks like. The point I made today is the A in sad. I believe it's sad when these things are not in place. Support, accountability, and discipleship. So I talked about a sponsor and mentor. Step eight, get this. Where is this in Christianity? Step eight, we made a list of all the persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Where is that in Christianity? That's called reconciliation, right? If we live in relation, unless we're just a caveman somewhere in total isolation, uh, if we live with people, we're going to offend them. We're going to sin against them just by our personality, our faults, and everything. We're, we're going to be imperfect parents. We're going to be imperfect brothers and sisters. Where is confession and making amends? Reconciliation. We may, step nine, we made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or harm them. Step 10, we continued to take a personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Wow. Where is that in Christianity? But how powerful would that be? And, you know, we kind of do that. We kind of do that with, uh, I'm thinking about retreats and conferences and things like that. You know, when everybody's together and, uh, um, you know, Preacher, teacher makes some passionate appeal to the crowd and um, everybody's crying and, you know, we periodically do that. But again, there's no accountability, right? There's no guarantee that we have to do that. So again, why aren't we ready to have God remove our character defects? It comes down to idolatry, ourself. Because we don't like it. We don't want to do it. It's that whole idea of we say we follow God, but are we willing to have another God's authority on earth in charge of our lives? Are we willing to ask for a discipler in our lives? Right? I think the closest thing we do, we go to church and we kind of sit under maybe a pastor's teaching Maybe on YouTube nowadays with the pandemic, you've maybe started to, you know, uh, gain some teaching under certain ministers because we're able to do that in this digital age, unless you don't have a digital phone or a laptop computer like some people I know, <laughs> right? All that is available to you. There's a little bit of accountability there, but again, you could be listening to John MacArthur, 
like I do in preparation for messages. You could be listening to John Piper like I do in um, preparation for messages. But again, there's no accountability. There's no accountability. And I believe it's sad. What are you going to take from today's message? Accountability. That's what makes it work. And why? Because it's sad. That's what I want you to take from today's message. What does sad stand for? Support accountability in a reasonable discipleship program. This is the goal. This is the vision, right? Everybody wants to be a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> Everyone wants to be a beautiful bu butterfly. Transformed. A metamorphosis. A new spirit with God, ourselves, and others. This is the goal. This is the vision. God does not want to save you just to sit, soak, and sour. <laughs> As someone has once said. God does not save us just to have, okay, we're saved. And we don't change. As you read the Bible, God says, you died. I died. You died to the old sin nature. God wants us to get rid of it. I'm going to be a grandfather in about two or three weeks. And those of you that were parents, you remember changing diapers, right? And it's kind of awkward, right? Kind of weird that babies uh, sometimes don't cry when they got a big poopy diaper. When do they start crying? When you, as soon as you put them on the table and you go, <laughs> you, rip, you rip that poopy diaper off and they get a cold, cold rush of wind <laughs> onto their warm body. Then they start crying. Where's the pain coming from? The pain is not having a poopy diaper, right? Even though you know you got you to get rid of that. <laughs> you got to get rid of that stuff. You don't want your loved one sitting in a poopy diaper. But the pain comes with the change, right? Wow. The pain comes with the change. And we are the same. It, when we're stuck in our old nature, it's comfortable. And when God cleans us it's as if purifying us through fire and sometimes that's that's not a pretty picture it's fire purifying us and sometimes it's not fun <laughs> okay sometimes actually it's not sometimes god will take away our impurities in this life no matter how hard we're holding on to them if anything is sure in life, is death, taxes, and change, right? Change is going to happen. All the things we hold on to, all our false gods, all the things that the prodigal son went through, the older son, all the things in the Bible, God eventually takes away because he loves us. And it's painful. 
What do we need? Not to be sad, support, accountability, and discipleship. A saving faith in God and being plugged into a group of believers that provides support, accountability, and discipleship. This is what I encourage all of you to seek out in your Christian journey. It may be support from a group of believers, finding accountability, maybe a Christian counselor. It may be, yeah, it may be a a 12-step group, a confidential group. It may be a confidential brother and sister that you ask for this accountability. And then seeking out a discipleship program. Um, Obviously, support, we could talk about many scriptures. Two are better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. If we try to do it on our own, if we try to resist the devil on our own, Jesus has conquered the devil, but you and I haven't, (laughs) right? If we try to wrestle the devil on our own, uh, we're going to fail. We need support of Christian brothers and sisters, and we need, like today's lesson, is accountability. All right. I am passionate about this. Um the need for support, accountability, and discipleship. Because discipleship, just having a saving faith, after having a saving faith, um, it's kind of like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. That is your mentorship. It's like a box of chocolates. What does Forrest Gump say? You never know what you're going to get. And that's what it is going to American Christian church. You never know what you're going to get. You go to Catholic church. Okay, you got to go through what? Catechism to become, they teach you how to become a good Catholic. You go to Presbyterian church. You go through membership class and they they teach you how to become a good Presbyterian. Right? Discipleship in the American church is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's why I love teaching and preaching through Luke 15 and the prodigal son story. Because it is not only the gospel within the gospel, but it shows us the prodigal sons taking practical steps toward reconciliation. Paralleled with the 12 steps of true repentance that we've been going through. I'm going to close on this. This introduces um, a relational discipleship model that I think is important, that I see in the Bible, that is different than just knowledge, okay? Most of our American Christianity discipleship is knowledge-based, okay? They teach you these things, and then you are discipled. Hopefully you come to a saving faith and depending on what denomination you go through, they will teach you knowledge-wise a certain number of things, right? All of you, if you've gone to different churches or whatnot or been with them for a period of time, they taught you certain things. If they were a whatever, uh, whatever denomination, again, it's X, Y, and Z. What I'm going to introduce to you next week and the weeks following 
is a relational discipleship model versus being just knowledge-based. That is, having a balance of biblical relationship. Relationships in a horizontal plane with fellow believers, having a mentor, mentoring others, and service to our neighbors, and obviously with God vertically. All right. Thank you for your kind attention. I hope uh, that was encouraging to you. These are, this was, that wasn't good English. These are, this was uh, 10 points of an introduction to the secrets to transformation, this vision of taking off and putting on this transforms life. Dear God, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you for saving faith in Jesus that like the thief on the cross, tomorrow we will be with you in paradise where you will transform us, God, in mind, body, and spirit with a resurrected life. God, we look forward to that. Until then, God, we run the race. We press on and help us, God, in accountability and support in a body of believers, God. Help us to spur one another on toward this vision of uh, transformation, God. Like the Apostle Paul said, even though our bodies, they seem to be wasting away every day, but every day we are being renewed in your spirit. God, today, I pray that we are being renewed a little bit closer to that vision of holiness, to live a life, God, worthy of the calling that you have given to each of us. God, for those that are um, questionable about their uh, security in you, may uh, the truth of Jesus's dying on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future, God, give us the security that we are adopted sons and daughters of you. We thank you for that, God. In your son's name we pray. All God's people said, amen.